right, welcome to Now This Is Podcasting. I'm your host, Connor, and I'm here with Calvin. Hello. And uh, we're doing another one. This kind of falls into some of the classics we've been doing uh, lately is uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah, I'd actually really honestly... This podcast has become an extension of me just trying to get through movies I've been wanting to watch for a long time. <laughs> so I was like, we needed something to do. And so I was like, okay, well, let's do One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. It's supposed to be great. Jack Nicholson. Um, uh, Louise one, Fletcher. Yeah. Yeah, this... Uh, Christopher Lloyd. Right. Uh, <laughs> Danny DeVito. Danny DeVito is in this movie. Oh, my gosh. That, is that? I've never, I've never watched a movie before um, and gotten to the end and realized that was Danny DeVito. I had I had an ex. Um, you remember American Sniper? Oh, yeah. yeah. We got to the credits at the end of the movie. and She um, was like, Bradley Cooper was in this? She was like, oh, wow, <laughs> Bradley Cooper was an executive producer. I didn't I didn't know he had anything to do with this movie. And I was like, he was he was the main character. She was like, that was him. I was joking. I, was, I, was, <laughs> I know you were. And I just wanted to see your face as I carried. No. Apparently oh his acting was his acting of a, a Texas hick was so good she didn't realize that it was Bradley Cooper. Wow, okay. That's <laughs> hilarious. I was being sarcastic. That's so funny. Yeah. I, I feel like the Danny DeVito's performance here is a little bit different than that, that I wouldn't think of that as being Danny DeVito. Right. I think mine is forgivable in the way that hers was not. No, no. I was watching this I watched this with Hannah. And uh, she said the same thing. I was like, that's Danny DeVito there. Like, you know that, right? She's like, no. It's like, yeah, yeah, that's 100% him. Yeah. I remember thinking like, okay, that guy is so short that he absolutely, I would recognize someone like that in Hollywood from, because I, you know, obviously Christopher Lloyd was in it. So I was like, oh, a bunch of other actors that you'll probably recognize in the future to come. I was like, well, I wonder, that guy obviously either was like, um, you know, like I am Sam, maybe he was actually like a kind of patient. They're just, yeah, we'll just cast him because right. he's quirky enough to work with. Like, oh yeah, I just kind of forgot about the shortest human being in Hollywood. Right. Uh, Brad Dorif is also in this. He played Billy. Yeah. And he later goes on to play Grima Wormtongue in uh, the Lord of the Rings series. So he's also, uh, who's, um, who's the Baron's Mintat in um, David Lynch's Dune? That's the same guy. Oh, it so is. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you're right. I think I pointed that out when we did our. Um, yeah, you you mentioned that he was Grima, Grima Wormtongue yeah. in that one too. I, dude, he can't he can't hide from me. I'll always spot Grima. <laughs> I know I know his face. Uh, but yeah, so let's get into the movie. This is directed by Milos Forman. It had a budget of four point four million. It made one hundred and sixty three million, and it came out in nineteen seventy five. So like that Crazy. seems like substantial for the time. Yeah, that seems. I mean, that's substantial now. Yeah, I mean, what I think. Maybe as of recording this, the Matrix has maybe broken two hundred million. Maybe, yeah. I don't even know. I don't even know that it has. It was it was around a hundred, hovering around a hundred not too long ago. So, yeah, that's, that's and crazy. that's supposed to be huge, huge movie. Yeah, and that, that I'm sure that that's around what that budget was was this, was like one sixty. Oh yeah, yeah. It's yeah. It's gonna really struggle to make any of its money back. So the fact that this is four point four million and it made a ton of money, like that's clearly a successful movie. And uh, we talked about it already, you know, like a great performance by uh, Jack Nicholson and Louise Fletcher. We've talked about some other movies that kind of became like cult classics and they just gained popularity over time. This was very popular and well-received at the time, like Jack Nicholson won awards, Louise Fletcher won awards. This wasn't just like, oh, people discovered One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest later on. Like this was a big deal at the time. So before we get more into the movie, I did a little uh, research every once in a while. I kind of like some of this, the try to figure out a little more about like what went into this and like the title and everything. So we know about the cuckoo, the common cuckoo through our review of Vivarium. 
Yeah. It's weird how that had more significance as a nature documentary than as an engaging story. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I, I learned more about a brood parasite than I did about actual like narrative or characters in that. Yeah, exactly. We learned everything we needed to know in 15 seconds, and then we had to sit there for another 100 minutes. <laughs> right. So that's where the, the, you know, the word cuckoo comes from, the, the common cuckoo, this brood parasite. And I wanted to learn more. I was like, so it's become kind of a term for, you know, like, oh, someone who's crazy or a little off. And it turned out it kind of evolved from, it was a word used to describe orphans or bastards, you know, someone who doesn't really fit in, you know, isn't like really quite a part of society. And then that's when it kind of take on like the meaning someone with like a mental disability or mental disorders, like, oh, he's cuckoo, he's not quite right. So that's kind of how that word evolved from being a bird to being a way we describe someone with like a... I guess a, it'd be derogatory term for describing someone with like a mental disability. Yeah. And that makes sense you know, uh, from our research on brood parasites. A brood parasite is one which a um, uh, a bird would lay uh, its egg in another bird's nest and then basically force that bird to take care of it because it wouldn't be able to distinguish. Um, or I, I guess I, I don't know if it couldn't distinguish that it wasn't its own uh, child, but like either yeah. it would it would it would feed and support it or the um the cuckoo would actually uh throw out the eggs of the other ones or yeah. like, or just the other chicks just so toss rude. them out like yeah so that's crazy so yeah that makes sense like the idea of it not fitting in not mm-hmm. being quite right but still being yeah so yeah, i thought that was just a neat something. evolution of how that word i always think it's interesting how like words kind of change over the time and they get a new meaning it's like well one flew over the cuckoo's nest it's basically essentially saying this is kind of your you know, quote unquote, like crazy person who escaped the asylum that they're in. So, yeah, and it's interesting. Like the uh, the title actually comes from a nursery rhyme that Chief says in the book, and for whatever reason, it didn't make it. I think probably because he is the narrator in the book, so we get a lot of his thoughts. Um, this movie does a very poor job at explaining that everything is from Chief's perspective, just until you get you get to the end and realize that he's the one escaping. I. I get that, and I never read the book, but I knew enough about it, and like we had talked about it before. I don't, I don't really think it is from his perspective at all in the movie, even though it feels like maybe the story could have gone a little better. Mm. It felt like it maybe it could have been a lot more interesting than what we got um, if it had been through his perspective. But uh, yeah, I find that pretty interesting. I would have, I would have liked to see that make its way into the film. All right, um, so now that we've gotten our, a good bit of rambling out of the way, uh, what did you think of this movie? What was your first impression of this? For a film that's 47 years old, like I, it it really holds up as an incredibly engaging piece of cinema. It doesn't drag, it it doesn't coddle, and it showcases the charisma of Jack Nicholson, like what made him an A-list star um, for all of his career. Overall, I think this film is a collection of great performances, but it lacks, it lacks interesting cin- cinematography in a bad way. I don't really understand why this is a classic for part of that reason. And then it totally whiffs on the larger themes from the source material. Um, there's a number of characterizations of um, each one of these individuals that adds nuance that would would talk that would give rise to uh, these greater themes. Like that's actually uh, Milos Forman why he wanted to do this film is because he um, resonated so strongly with his um, uh, growing up in Czechoslovakia. Um, and under like an oppressive regime, like he felt like there was a lot of him that he could put into this story. So it's weird that he saw that resonated with that. And then it's not here. So yeah, it's, it's, it's good enough. Um, 
but I'm just I the I mean you everything you need to know I think is that the uh, author d- never saw the movie and from everything that he had heard didn't didn't like it. Oh, I have a good fun fact about him later on. Okay, great. Um, yeah, I, I have a lot of the same thoughts that you do. You brought up like nuance. I don't think there's any nuance to these characters really. It feels like they just picked a bunch of kind of mental disability stereotypes, put them on the board, and threw darts at it to figure out character a- attributes. It so, doesn't. It doesn't really feel like they they all just feel kind of stereotyped and like maybe like you're taking advantage of that and like trying to kind of pump it up and make it more dramatic than actually have like what I think would be like real people, like real characters in this situation. Yeah. I don't know. I I feel like in some ways there were like, um, like as far as mannerisms, they felt fairly natural. They actually did a lot of research. Um, they, the actors actually stayed in, that was, uh, an actual, um, uh, mental institution. They actually stayed there and um, like observed the uh, the patients, only to find out after filming had concluded that they were all criminally instituted and oh. were just hanging around all of these very dangerous and mentally unstable people. Wow, that's kind of wild. I, I didn't I hadn't uh, run across that. That's wow. That's nuts. Um, yeah, I guess it's just still. It just feels like it's you know throwing darts at a board and be like, all right, he's the guy who like shakes and cries in the corner and he's the guy who yells a lot. And it just, it, it felt like there could have been a little more to it. Uh, they're still all fine. And I think, again, this movie is really saved by Louise Fletcher and Jack Nicholson. Like, cause like I said, there's not, we'll, we'll go into it more. I don't really feel like there's a ton of the story. And it doesn't really feel like there's a big message to this movie and either. Right. And so to have just the really uh, like robust, you know, characters in Fletcher and uh, Jack Nicholson, like what they bring to McMurphy and Nurse Ratched. I thought that that mostly saves the movie for me, keeps it entertaining. I would describe it as pretty okay. Yeah. That seems, that seems on par for classics that we've been. I know, right? Why is that? Yeah. I don't know because I've seen uh, incredible pieces of cinema coming from the sixties, seventies, even from the forties. Um, I just don't understand why the things that we want to remember as culturally significant, even with, with respect to the medium are not very good. Yeah. I, and I, and I don't, I hope it's not because I'm like, have a bias and like, Oh, I just liked movies that are coming out in my era. But I mean, we've watched a couple of movies I think that have come out in like the last decade. I'm just like, this is great. Like this is great cinema. And then to go back to like 1975 and look at this movie that was considered great for the time. And it's considered a classic now. And I'm, and the fact that I'm only like, it was all right. Like that's kind of, that sucks for me because it's like, well, I want to like these and I want to understand why they're classics. So, mm-hmm. but we can move on uh, kind of into the aesthetic and the look. Um, you were saying that you don't find a lot of the shots very interesting. I also agree. I think I picked a couple, like there's a neat little shot of like a squirrel crawling across like the barbed wire fence while it's kind of gloomy outside. And it kind of gave me the feeling of like, you know, there's someone who's trapped who might escape or whatever. And that's kind of a theme kind of brought up later in the movie. Mm-hmm. There's an inter- interesting use of kind of the like quick zooms in on Nurse Ratched, And I think it gives a lot of drama to those scenes. So I thought there was some interesting visual elements, but it's not like this movie isn't like rife with them or anything. No. And what I mean more by um, nothing being very good cinematically is that the composition isn't very interesting. We don't have a lot of things in foreground and background and at our interest points. So like if you think of the of the grid that we've talked about before, um, 
if you're not familiar with that concept, think of the frame as being split by into nine squares, and wherever you have a line intersecting, those are where you should put visual. You should put your your subjects or something visually interesting. Um, there's not there's not a whole lot of pl- at, at play here. Like a big part of this film is about perspective, and it's a lot to do with with close-ups. Um, so th- there's um not only with dialogue and but ones without dialogue too so it's interesting because we get to hear their thoughts when they're speaking and we also get to see their reactions when they're being spoken to or when something else is going on they're not even being spoken to there's um a lot of um uh like uh with max Tabor. um he has a lot of those shots for some reason that nothing else is going on, but he's the one being focused on. That's interesting from like an editing perspective, but it's not like the composition of the shot itself is not visually arresting. But like a big, a good example of, of this concept too is uh, Billy Bibbitt's uh, dressing down at the end of the film. The like Nurse Ratched is supposed to be this tyrant, but this that scene is less about her abuse of power and more about experiencing uh billy's nervousness and his shame like that's really all i get out of that shot not anything not anything like of a higher level of uh of thematic substance right right i think of uh because they have a lot of kind of the sessions where they're all sitting around and discussing mm. their feelings stuff it it reminded me of a couple of the scenes from breaking bad when jesse is kind of in those uh the, like drug abuse meetings and stuff mm-hmm. and those the the camera seems to be moving around and there's a lot of drama and tension in those scenes. And I understand that this is not exactly the same kind of uh, situations going on in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, but I kept being reminded of those scenes and how like, kind of thrilling it was to be like in Jesse's mind and he's talking about like that box he made for his mom, but he ends up selling it for meth and so much like drama in those scenes. And then I watched like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and it just feels like it's very static. You know, It doesn't really feel like there's much going on, even though it feels like the characters are saying something that I should find important. Yeah, I do like those scenes. I think those are the highlights of the film is uh, when everyone's in there in the group therapy session, because those are the times those are the closest uh, times we get to the themes that play in the novel um, where Nurse Ratched is basically forcing upon them like, no, we're doing this right now. And you um, I want to drag you through the mud and expose your shame because I need you to understand the power balance here. That's what a lot of those should be about. But in some sense, like that was conventional wisdom about how you do group therapy. And it was just getting people to talk about their issues. So I think there's a lot of cool things going on. I think there's like three different ones and they're all, they're all different. Uh, you can almost think of them as uh, tension points of like wh- how the relationship or how the dynamic of the patients versus nurse ratchet is changing for sure. And how McMurphy, his role within those is changing as the movie progresses, but they're just not staged in uh, from interesting uh, lens views. Right. Another thing that I think makes those scenes really, it does like bring tension to them. Like you said, is uh, the use of music or lack thereof. I mm-hmm. really like that. It, there's not ma- really much to the score here, Mm-mm. but it's almost, it's it's nice when it's not used because it does really feel like, at least I get to experience kind of what these characters are going through. And like you said, like kind of that struggle they have with Ratched. And it makes it all the more like kind of unnerving and unsettling the fact that it's there's no music accompanying it. You just like hear them yelling and you hear them struggling. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like the the one where they're all uh, screaming and um, where the one guy is yelling about like I want my cigarettes, I want my cigarettes, and that's supposed to be like in the in the novel that should be something that's treated as uh, I'm being a, I like I don't have to be here if I don't want to be. I should be able to make decisions because I'm an adult. But here it just feels like the whining of a child. That's it's just this this cacophony of like tantrums going yeah. on. Oh, you're so which right. Which is it? It's like it's unnerving and it's unsettling, but it's it's for a different purpose than I think what the what the director thought he was making. It's certainly uncomfortable. That's how I felt. I was like, oh man, like I, I'm ready for this to be done. Yeah, exactly. Can everyone just settle down and be an adult now? Yeah, uh, I need. I think another thing that doesn't really help this film a lot is it's it's all shot from like we talk about one character's perspective like the narrator's perspective and that doesn't like really always lend itself to the most exciting uh exciting film yeah not in film like i feel like a lot of movies uh suffer from this because here's a great book um let's make it into a movie because if it's engaging as a book then and the story is engaging then the story will be engaging in a movie too and it is here but the thing is is like that's that's the reason that nothing is interesting to look at is because everything the way that books are constructed and how you talk about setting and scene is um it's all about the words and the thoughts and the dialogue. You set the general scene of what everything looks like, but the way film works is every single shot is a new perspective. Whether the same person is still talking um, from cut to cut, you are saying something differently with how you are actually framing uh, your subject. So that happens. That happens. That seems to happen a lot with these classics. Is that the stories are good enough? Um, and they're done in a good enough way to still be uh, exciting. And like you said, it made a ton of money, but they just don't really understand uh, what a film is. Right. So let's talk about whose perspective this movie is from. Uh, that's uh, Mick Murphy, which is Jack Nicholson's character. I, I actually, it's so weird. I, I kind of struggle with this movie because I, I can't tell which one I like more or which one I dislike more between him and Nurse Ratched. He seems to genuinely like interacting with the other patients he's there with you know he's teaching bromden to play basketball he's playing poker with the guys even though he's kind of like swindling on them Mm -hmm. it still feels like he wants to have a good time they he gets them all like together and they're cheering to watch a pretend world series game and it just feels like uh he has like their best at least as far as like bringing joy to the uh institution they're in he seems to have their best interest in mind but he's also kind of like kind of backhanded and he He's like scummy, and you can tell he's like, he's not, uh, he's pretty morally ambiguous. He seems to want to do the right things, or he seems to do the right things, but there's always some kind of like nefarious motivation behind it. So I, I don't really understand his character. I think he's like a lot of, he's kind of a lot of fun on screen because I kind of don't get his motivation. But uh, yeah, I think I think Jack Nicholson really brings this character to life. Certainly, yeah, I think there's there's definitely a character there. But that's my my, my biggest problem with this movie and why it doesn't land thematically is because I don't think that he cares about all of these people. I think that he has been shown that he wants to game a system. Uh, he raped an underage. Uh, girl like that's the whole reason that he's here is right. for repeated offenses so he is very much he's a very very bad person this is not someone who um wants to engage or um connect with other people he's all about using people um because otherwise he wouldn't be at this stage of his life so that's my problem is you've set up the protagonist as an abhorrent person so i don't care that they're um 
against someone that may or may not be doing something right. Like this, this movie isn't about questioning tyrants, but it's about a power struggle between two manipulators. You know, one, the established authoritarian in Nurse Ratched, and the other, the charismatic upstart that wants to change the power balance in his favor. So the movie insinuates that there's some righteous cause behind tearing down um, the evil Nurse Ratched, but McMurphy's just a rabble rouser, and like he's just self-seeking in, in every in every sense. So, and the other reason that the, f- the movie misses on that theme is that these men do actually have problems and are there to get better. And the book, the better expands on the on the question of disability and whether the patients simply have a different way of looking at the world. Like they're given humanness and and the that nuance that we talk about that the movie just uh, just doesn't have. So without that nuance, we can't we can't sympathize with with McMurphy wanting to empower any of these people because he just sees them as targets. Yeah, I I made a note is just a place trickster in mental facility hijinks ensue that's how this movie really feels to me yeah exactly like and if they had been more ambivalent about his um about his ends and his means uh and he was just generally chaotic and wasn't uh um doing bad things to other or it was like at least doing good things too because i i just i don't really think that anything that he ever does is good for the sake of the patients everything is good for the sake of him like if i'm in a big group i can do whatever i want because people are just going to assume certain things and they're not going to do anything that means they they stole a boat just not because um he's he's smarter or anything it's just because he has a lot of people around him and i think that's how he sees all of them if he surrounds himself with pawns then he can he can be a king of this place i guess i understand i understand your point I guess when I think about the the boat scene, that's like kind of a that's a really fun part of the movie. And to me, I thought of that as like that's McMurphy kind of, hey, I these guys don't ever get to have fun. I have the charisma to get them onto this boat, and we can go out and have a good time. And to me, because it felt like if he was going to use this big group to like serve his own means, he would just use them to escape. But it, repeatedly, McMurphy has the opportunity to escape, and he never does. So that's why I kind of feel like it, it still feels like he's just trying to make the best out of the time he has there. And so I do. I do really get what you're saying. He he is a manipulator, but it still feels like he's not he's not doing it in a malicious way. He's not doing it because he wants to have fun. It feels like part of it is because he wants everyone to have some fun. I I feel like I would I would understand that more, or I would be more on board with that if at any point he ever defended anybody or like was interested in teaching someone. He was always about putting people in places to not distract um, for what he wanted to do anymore because he just wanted to have sex when he got on the boats. Like you just steer, right? You right. guys you guys fish. I'm just going to go have sex now. And that's, that's all, that's the point of this. No, you bring up a fair point. One, that was like my big, my big, like, oh, gotcha, Calvin. He was (laughs) trying to have fun the whole time, but, but you're right. He's still kind of doing it to serve his own means. Yeah. I could see what you're saying though. Like there's certainly like he has multiple uh, opportunities to escape and just doesn't. But I find them. I find that fact confusing, and not because I think that's a part of his character. Right. I yeah. I would say I I don't understand the motivation of this character really, because it just feels like he's contradicting himself sometimes. You know where where it's like he, it feels like he wants to escape all the time. It feels like he's trying to get all all the other patients to kind of help him out in a, in a certain way to to reach those means, and then he he doesn't. He's like, hey Billy, like go get laid you know i'll stay and hang out and yeah. then he falls asleep and loses his opportunity at the end so his motivation seems all over the place and like you said he's a bad human being like we mm-hmm. shouldn't like him and the fact that i at some points in the movie i was like oh look at him like having a good time with his buds like that's so it's so weird how this 
this movie at least kept McMurphy pretty interesting to me. Yeah. If there had just been like one or two lines of self-reflection, I would have been like, okay, that works. The, right. the, the entire film changes for me with a couple lines of dialogue. For sure. Because we have set this movie up as being a dialogue-heavy movie. That's where all of our information is. That, that's where all of our tone is and our theme. Um, so the, there, are also, there are a number of changes um, of dialogue that were just left out of the book. Like Nurse Ratched is, is like a good one. Like she, she has um, this to say about the electric chair. Like might be said to do the work of the sleeping pill, the electric chair and the torture sack. It's a clever little procedure. Simple, quick, nearly painless. It happens so fast, but no one ever wants another one. <laughs> ever. Not the electric chair, I'm sorry, but the uh, electroshock therapy. Right, right. So... That's you can clearly see she's not interested about in uh, fixing anybody. Right. But that's that scene, the electroshock therapy for McMurphy is just like, oh, he needs he needs help. And right. it seems like like that that was just conventional wisdom back then. Like obviously like we look back at that like we do alchemy. Like Oh my god, you're so right. Um but that's it, it's not a struggle between the two and like of actually desiring to hurt him. It's he is hurting other people. This is what we know to help people like this. So let's do that. It's another one of those I am Sam things. Like you can't have the, you can't have a story of like protagonist antagonist where the antagonists are the only one making any sense. I, yeah, you're so right. I, I definitely got, um, I, I got a lot of I am Sam vibes from this movie as well. It's, it's funny how that's how right. we, we frame that's everything. A, that's now. our benchmark. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things, one of the reasons I think that is, I think Ratchet is, it's really easy to look at her character and think this is a person who's on a power trip. She can enforce rules and do whatever she wants because she can, because she's just put in a position where she can have power over these people. And it's really easy to, you could reduce her character to that. And I mean, I, I don't think you'd be terribly far off. But I still think what she's doing is, like you said, it's making the most sense. Like, I mean, if you if you actually look at like these like inpatient facilities and stuff like that, it's very important to like keep a schedule. It helps the patients feel like a, a sense of comfort. And it's a big like hallmark of how we treat mental disability and, and mental illness now. So the fact that she's not going to let McMurphy just kind of vote and make new rules is actually making a lot of sense. Yeah, exactly. Because he's not interested in helping anybody. He's self-serving. So if it, if there had been like a moment where like, no, here we do my rules, then that explains why, you know, it's not necessarily that it needs to make sense from a medical standpoint. It needs to, it's everything about how you're setting up the character motivations for why rules are in place to begin with. It just, it's really the dynamic between them. Because yeah, like, again, I, I've said that in some ways I find McMurphy like pretty fun and like well why can't why can't the other patients have fun mm-hmm. and because you have bad nurse ratchet being like well these are the rules and this is how it is but if you like really break it down that she's also doing like she's doing the right thing so it's really interesting like i think there's a good dynamic between them because it's hard to kind of pick which one i like more and like i said which one do i dislike more yeah absolutely all right so we've moved on from kind of the two most important characters like the big conflict in the movie uh I wanted to go over some scenes like the the voting for the World Series and uh, the boat ride, but we kind of already covered those. The only big one I wanted to really make sure we got to was the end and kind of that big party that ends up kind of out of nowhere. Yeah, right. Uh, Mick Murphy's got his girlfriends bring a bunch of booze in and he gets the security guard in on it too. It just, it, it just becomes very goofy, like out of nowhere. And it, it felt like it almost didn't fit in this movie at all. Yeah, it feels, it feels very like 80s or like uh, 
like animal house. It does. Yeah. Like a weekend at Bernie's or something. Yeah. I, was... I, I kind of wonder if like that's where they drew inspiration. <laughs> yeah. Let's make a movie all about that. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was so strange. And they're like hiding in the office and stuff. And from the other nurses coming around, it's just, I was like, wow, what is a wacky part of this movie? Right. But in a, it, at no point did it ever seem fun because of the way they lit everything. It seemed dangerous. <laughs> Yeah, and, and like we talked about, there's not really any score to this. They're all being extremely loud, like too loud, that they're going to get caught. And it, it, it did. It added a bit of attention to it. I was like, oh, I know you guys are having fun, but like, shh, like, yeah. they're going to hear you. You're going to get caught. So <laughs> it was, it, yeah, again, it's another bit of the lack of score making this that scene like pretty uncomfortable to watch, even though it feels like what I'm seeing should be a fun time. I was like, oh, no, like you kind of have that, you're kind of holding your breath waiting for like them to than to eventually get caught and like have the consequences of this whole night they're on. So inevitably they do end up getting caught and you get the consequence. Like McMurphy has the lobotomy done and you know, they, it, it's kind of funny. I wonder if they thought that cause he kind of plays a joke on them earlier in the movie after he's gotten the shock therapy and he's acting, you know, like way out of it. And like, you know, McMurphy's changed forever. And then he like gives him finger guns. He's like, ah, oh, gotcha. I was, I, I'm still me. And then he comes back this time, and I think you're kind of anticipating that, like waiting for the, oh, it's still McMurphy, like we're going to have a good time, boys. And he never does. And it is like, a, it's a pretty like somber moment, especially for a group of people who, despite McMurphy maybe not actually being their real friend, I think to them, they they feel like McMurphy is their friend. And so to ha- like have that loss, I thought like that actually mattered in this movie. Yeah. And it it was a little bit of th- of thematic artifact from the, the from the book. Um, although in the book, what happens is McMurphy actually uh, strangles Nurse Ratched hard enough that she's uh, left mute or almost mute, and you can kind of tell at the end that she her voice rasps a little bit, and she's obviously got that uh, like neck brace or whatever, but she still sounds like she can speak. Right. Um, so it's interesting thinking of like the both of them attacking the other uh, the other source of power. Uh, in this case, McMurphy's. Um, volition and his own thought and uh nurse ratchet and her and her voice right being able to give directive and laws um but that's about it i mean it's it's that's if that's the only thing that gets really translated very well from the novel it doesn't land the way it would uh in the in the novel right i think the next thing is how chief bromden operates at the end of this it's kind of weird to me the reveal that he's been able to talk the whole time and he was aware of what was going on. I don't know why, but like when I was watching, I was like, oh, like I didn't really need that reveal. It was kind of, I was fine with him like never talking and mm. maybe just uh, the way it ended, you would have gotten the same understanding that he knew what was going on the whole time. So you didn't really need that whole kind of like weird heartfelt moment, I guess, with him and McMurphy at the end. I thought it was so, it was kind of strange to not want a, ter- a character to talk at all. Yeah, exactly. Because I think that you would set up this character um, very differently than the novel. In the novel, you hear all of his thoughts. So why then have that same reveal where he is not, that reveal is not built into this movie? It's not going to land the same way. We don't care. Um, Because for us, he was basically just a prop for a long time. He was a balance board for, for McMurphy. So you needed to leave him that way. And instead, like the film decides like, oh, he's the real hero or protagonist at the at the end, like the the book does. But those are they should be treated treated as two different things. Right. I think you could have had a like a nice heartfelt like touch on the cheek and then he puts the pillow over McMurphy and you could have conveyed the same thing. I, I wonder if maybe part of the issue is they were worried that 
it was just going to look like Bromden murdered him and then ran away. So I wonder if maybe that's why they wanted to have a little more dialogue to kind of spell out more what was going on. But I remember, yeah, I was just watching. I was like, huh, I don't think he should have talked. Yeah. I, I kind of like the idea of him it just being kind of this like a, a silent bystander the whole time until you kind of really realize like this was more or less like his story at the end. Yeah. I think that would have worked worked better. Um but only slightly because the thing is, is we still don't get a lot of camera shots that would suggest that he sees anything, that any of the shots that we're looking at are something that he is aware of. So you, you do need to go back and reshoot some, some things in order to make that connection. Um, but it's still marginally better. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would have just, I would have liked the little nuance of that a little bit better. Yeah, absolutely. So we're talking about maybe stuff we think could have worked better. Maybe that the book did better. So the author, Ken Casey, was pretty bitter about the filmmaking and he thought they were butchering his book and he vowed, you know, he'd, he would never watch the film or anything like that. And it was years later, he's flipping through channels on TV and this movie pops up and he's like, oh, this is like kind of good. And he sit back, sits, sits back and is watching it and then it goes to commercial and it comes back and he realizes it's One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and immediately turned it off. He's like, he's like, nope, I never, I said I'd never watch it. And he, it just is interesting to me that for a minute there, he actually thought it was pretty good, realized what the property was. And then it's like, nope, turned it right off. Just kind of funny how he's very bitter, very upset about how this movie was treated based off of like his own work. Yeah. And I think that you really need to think of them as their own works. And while I have compared a lot between the two, like 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 think of the shining i think the shining is a good example of something being t- made into something completely different by two auteurs you know you have stanley kubrick making the film and stephen king making the novel they're very different because they're very different mediums like stanley uh i i can understand why stanley kubrick did the things that he did because there's only so much time that you that you have in order to convey all this especially a stephen king book where you know you know, the minimum is like 800 pages. Right. So that's, it's almost impossible to do that um, in a film shot for shot that isn't like Dune is going to be a total of like five hours. Right. I mean, even Lord of the Rings cuts a massive amounts of uh, plot points because you just need to fit everything in there. And it's not very, a very good movie either. Like it's a good, it's a fine enough movie, you know, if you already know the book, Right. Um, but it's not very good on its own because you're just jumping around so quickly. Um, so I can understand why he would like there. There are things to enjoy about this movie here, but they're missing what could have been. And that's really my issue is not so much that this um, it didn't want to be its own thing. It's just a bastardized or watered down version of something else. And that's what I think is my biggest problem with with movies being adapted is they get they get like a bit, they, they, they scratch at the surface of what um, something meant to be. And then they ultimately fall short. Right. I it, trying to like suss out and figure out what the themes or the messages of this movie. And it doesn't really feel like there is a big one, except maybe like power struggle. Um, you know, I thought that there's an opportunity for this to be kind of a, a commentary on kind of healthcare in general. And how, how do we treat patients, you know, with, with mental disabilities and are we doing the right things? And you could have had that juxtaposed nature of nurse ratchet, doing the wrong thing maybe to represent how mental health facilities do treat people and then have Vic Murphy as kind of like the good guy in it. But you could have done that in an interesting way that like helps convey that message. It doesn't exist in this movie, mm-hmm. which is fine. If that wasn't the point of it, that's fine. I just, I felt like I was trying to find some meaning in it and I could never like pick out one that I thought really fit the film very well. Mm. And so it kind of 
that's why I'm saying this is just okay to me because it doesn't really feel like it's saying anything to me except that, you know, power struggle between Ratchet and McMurphy. Yeah, but it feels like it's trying to say something. That to me is so frustrating. If I came away from this uh, from this movie uh, thinking that it wasn't trying to say anything, then I would feel very different. Like I kind of like kind of the way I feel about Mother. I don't think there's a central point to that movie um, in a way that there feels like there's a central point or like the director was trying to make a centralized point with everything that they were showing. If you had made this a commentary on multiple things on multiple levels, um, it's, it's a, it's a film then because you would be paying attention to the, the aspects of, uh, of filmmaking and of camera position of editing. All of those things would be a lot more interesting because you're working on multiple levels. They're working on one level and don't seem to be, and don't get there. Yeah, I think we're we're about to wrap this one up. I move on to our final thoughts on it. Like I said, this is just a it's a classic that I just I feel like I don't get why it's such a big deal. It's certainly uh, great performances, like we've said before. That's what really saves this movie for me. But again, it doesn't really feel like there's a message to it. It has some really good like tense scenes in it, so I still feel like I'm entertained while I'm watching it. But I don't really know. I don't know, really know what we we're trying to achieve watching this. So that's mm-hmm. that's kind of where I land on it. it it's fine. Uh, I, I certainly won't like, I feel like I watched this like three or four times cause we were going to record and then we moved it to a different week and then we were going to record, moved it to a different week. So I feel like I've watched this movie a lot of times. And so maybe I'm being overly critical just because I've been like saturated with one flew over the cuckoo's nest, but it, it was fine. That's when that's kind of where I stand on this one. Yeah. Interesting fact that the, both the novel and the film are in the top 100 either novels or films of the century. And I think that's really my problem with the with this movie and why I'm picking at it more than I probably would is because it shouldn't be remembered the way it is because there are millions of films and movies out there that are so much better done. Like this is probably... It's it's very engaging. I stopped taking notes after a while because I realized there wasn't any substance to it. But it's like it's a fun story. Like I'm really into these characters and uh, what's going on because it just it feels like it's not following a pattern. Right, right. <laughs> it's not following your typical narrative, and I don't know what's going to happen next. So that part is very interesting. Um, so if this was just like a movie that we kind of stumbled on. Um, I don't know, like what's something that we've watched recently that nobody's ever going to remember, but it's a very good movie. I would actually think of like Edge of Tomorrow. Like that's a very good movie. Um, Okay, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, that like, you know, has been made kind of a big deal about uh, for other reasons, but it largely largely should be forgotten outside of it because everyone's going to make dozens of movies like that every year. They're going to be good enough. Right. But they're not culturally relevant. Okay, I get what you mean. Yeah. No, I, I get you. All right, so many of the characters are concerned about their cigarettes. So on a scale of 1 to 10, Marlboro Reds, how what do you give this movie? <sighs> it's hard to say. I want to say, just for its own movie's sake, that it's probably like a 7.5. But when you're basing it off of something, you've had a lot of the hardest work has been done already. And if you miss the point of that then you're not a very good filmmaker. So really, I think it's more of a 5.5 for me. It's fun, but it's it's not it's not what I'm looking for in this type of movie. Right. I, I, I'm going to be the same. I'll give this a 5. It I think it, part of it it suffers is because it's like 
big time classic, top 100 movies of all time. And so that hampers it to me. It's like, okay, well, I should expect something out of this movie. And when I it, when I don't get that, it's like I think it's okay for me to be like, you know, what, maybe I'll knock this down a couple points. Whereas, like you said, if I had just maybe watched this on its own and never knew anything about it, I, I might mark it a little higher. But you can't tell me like all time classic, and then I sort of get a a story that is like engaging but isn't really saying anything. I, I think you lose a couple points for me. So yeah, I, yeah. I, that's kind of nice. I think we're it's not certainly not bad. Yeah, honestly, I think it's more like I mean, looking at my rating score now for Pan's Labyrinth. This is how I feel about Pan's Labyrinth. Mm-hmm. You just kind of miss. There, there are some better things there. Um, I think this is better executed than Pan's Labyrinth. I think the ideas are cooler in Pan's Labyrinth, but ultimately they're the same in terms of um, ultimate reception. Uh, it's just not quite there. It's very right. mediocre. All right. Well, with that, we're wrapping this one up. You can find our podcast on any platform like Spotify or iTunes. Uh, we also upload all these to YouTube. So go ahead and leave a comment. I love checking them out. Tell us what we're doing well. Tell us what we're doing wrong. And if you have any suggestions for movies for us to do in the future, we actually got a really good suggestion the other day that's going to go on our list. So, uh, oh, yeah. So be ready for that one. Uh, and with that, uh, thank you for listening to Now This Is Podcasting. <laughs>